Hello everyone, welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay, Dave Clay, to all my friends and family, and who would not be, at least hopefully wishfully so, friend and family. There's this thing called object constancy. Um, It is an aspect of cognitive development. Uh, It would then be, as with construct, something that is only measurable by its results. It's very difficult to actually put a, (laughs) let's say microscope, but I'm sure there's more sophisticated ways these days than microscopes. Microscope to it and see it. But we know it because we can see the result of it. It is there. (laughs) But it represents a, a certain point in one's cognitive development, all of us, all of us being uh, subject to the same course of development, where we begin to realize if it's not right there in front of us, if you can't touch it, taste it, feel it, in those visceral, material, sort of sensorium, sensory input ways, it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means you can't process it within the five senses. Now, is this the beginning of spirituality? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Because I think until you can accept the fact that simply because it's not right there immediately in front of you that it still could exist, uh, you're probably not going to go anywhere near the spiritual You're going to stay as far away from it as possible. You're even going to think, these folks are crazy. Uh, Show me. (laughs) I was thinking about the show me state. I don't know which one it is. Maybe it's Iowa. I think it is. may not be. I apologize to all Iowans if you're not. And to whomever state that is the state motto. I apologize to you if I didn't get it right. If you're not Iowans, then I attributed it to Iowa. But spirituality is an important concept, (laughs) true, to Christians especially. And then I think to the end of all spiritual dimensions as would be turned to Christianity, if you do not believe (laughs) in the existence of something outside your five senses, that you can't in that literally wrap your sort of body around, mind around, being part of your body, you're probably going to have a very difficult time with Jesus and Holy Spirit and otherwise all of those things that are in the heavenlies. Whatever dimension that might represent, I I think most of us would consider heavenlies to be skyward. I don't know that that has to be the case. It could be down, right, left, as much as up. It just is in a different dimension. But even as I'm saying that, Why do I say it that way? Because I've got no way to communicate that to you without using some reference that is predicate upon our sensory input. Predicate upon our brain's ability to wrap literally in sensorium 
take that and then somehow wrap our head around that and declare that a truth or a reality. But even as we're talking about object constancy, even as Piaget would have identified, Jean Piaget would have identified that back in, I think it's the early, I guess, 20th century, maybe latter 1800s, 19th century. Nonetheless, it is true. We operate off of that as a truth. We operate off of that as a fact, even if we can't put it under the microscope or we have no way of literally measuring it. Why? Because it meets the test of validity and reliability. Why? Well, for one thing, (laughs) concurrent validity states there's a number of witnesses (laughs) that can testify to the fact that it does exist. We can observe it with our children, even our dogs. (laughs) I have dogs. I apologize for all those cat people out there, just like I did to the Iowans. If I get that a bit offensive, if I kind of exclude you or don't do you justice, I suppose would be the right way to say that, to make that connection. But for dogs even, they know that I'm there, even if they can't see me. So if dogs can do it, We watch our children do it. We understand that it's a legitimate phenomenon simply because we can't put a finger on it. It doesn't make it invalid. You can do that through multiple witnesses. And with that, it's reliable. Everybody goes through that stage. Not everybody operates as well. Not everybody, and that would be the premise of the developmental model is that it's progressive. Development can get arrested. People can get fixated and stuck. And what is the number one culprit? Impoverishment. Uh, Inability to have, in, in that poverty sort of way, an enriched life where there's experiences where you're not under maybe just pressure or demand of living. fight or flight, fear, we all seem to have that readily online. The minute we're born, we begin to, in that sensorium, recognize it's a dangerous place. How do I know that? Because kids are, I guess, once you're born, infants, that's what I should say, children, infants, once they're born, the immediacy of their pain, which is the greatest measure of threat, which is then the greatest measure of life or death, they immediately begin to wail. Um, They're inundated with sensorium, sensory input. They can't process it. They can't manage it. It's hard to find some measure of contentment, except possibly to say they just wear themselves out. And hopefully then can take some rest, Hopefully when they're able to feed, they will experience that in an autonomic, pre-programmed sort of dimension. But from birth all the way to our death, that's at a base level always there. You know if something's going to kill you simply because it hurts. If it feels good, it seems like, in that real basic sort of way, oh, it's good. It's satisfying. It's contentment. Uh, 
I need more of it. It meets the primary drives, which then the sensorium sort of, that's why it's there. They're there. Why the operational system, it, the emotions, emotive system is there. The sympathetic nervous system is there so that we can find the things that we need for survival. But sometimes things feel good that really aren't good for you. And getting back to my dogs, even my dogs know that I'm good for them because I meet all their needs. And I suppose in that social dimension that dogs seem to be inclined toward, at least for me, it's a much more congruous, if that's the word, I uh, match up better with dogs than I do cats because dogs are kind of much more extroverted and demonstrative and they're tending to be more pack sort of animal related. Uh, That seems to be of great appeal to me. So that's why I picked dogs over cats. But in that way, I'm inclined to meet their needs socially, and they're inclined to meet my needs. And supposing then in some sort of evolutionary, if I might use that word, beneficial sort of way, we've gotten to the point where dogs and people really can work well together because we can meet each other's needs, not only for the primary drives to keep the body alive, but should we all even get to that point of development where we begin to understand simply because it's not there in front of us doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Dogs love me. (laughs) I love my dogs. But again, getting back to people and impoverishment or poverty, people who don't know love, they have a hard time really believing that. People who don't operate in those terms have a hard time really buying into that. People who I suppose in a developmental sort of way haven't gotten there yet, you may have a hard time convincing them that love exists. And maybe even from the very beginning of their birth, maybe they haven't had that. Maybe there wasn't constancy of not just those primary caregivers, just the physical needs being met, although that certainly creates problems psychologically and emotionally and sociologically and love-oriented. But maybe it's also that they've been mistreated and abused. And why would they think anybody would be safe or anybody would meet their needs, not only physically, but emotionally? And it's not hard to convince somebody who's not known any different What's hard to convince them is that their prejudice and bias might be wrong. That actually, somebody might love them, could love them. And not only would it be conditional in the sense of reciprocity, social dimensions, but it could be unconditional. And certainly when it comes to relationships, that is the highest order of relationship. The Acts of the Apostles. You're waiting for that moment, right? The segue to the scripture. Chapter 1, beginning with verse (laughs) 1. I think it's interesting. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, a treatise, I think, has something to do with a treaty, 
It's kind of a covenant thing. I'm sure the choice of words, whether it was the translators or as with the Greek, as this New Testament passage, the New Testament being written in Greek, then I'm sure that that's exactly what Luke was intending to capture. (laughs) This is more than just something sort of you see, touch, taste, and feel, something more than just reciprocity, something more than just transactional. There's some real love in this. Not that those things aren't love, but it's got something more. And the more is not only constancy, treatise, object constancy, but that nothing, as the word would say, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But you have to begin with, O Theophilus, those things that you could touch, taste, feel, sense, smell. Until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Chosen for what purpose? Many, many, many purposes. They all go back to one, though, I think, to teach them, to show them not only this lesson of object constancy in valid, reliable, empirically sound, as we would call it these days, research, highest order research methodology, Prove it, evidence-based, to prove it, that it's real. That's what it is. These are the ones that got to see it, witness it firsthand. The concurrent validity, because it is a spiritual matter, but until Christ came to do it, to show it, not only the resurrection, which I'm speaking, I'm presuming, to a predominantly Christian audience, on the podcast, you all know if you're a Christian and if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is resurrection and a resurrected body that will soon follow or has already occurred in this chapter to, as Luke was writing to Theophilus. He was yet to talk about that in that way, except to say that Jesus had resurrected and that there was going to be Time between the resurrection and his ascension, elementally, essentially, is what this is picking up at, the book of Acts. But that idea, though, that he had been crucified already, death, (laughs) he had been buried, and now was showing himself, or as Luke was about to capture, in testimony, witness, would show himself to the chosen. Why? Not because they were special in that way. They just needed, he needed witnesses. They were probably also the ones that were most likely to be open to receiving, not prejudiced. Their subjective experiences of not only infancy, birth, infancy, childhood, but impoverishment. They would be ones that might have still held out some hope, some Belief that things could get better, although surely in the Gospels we know the disciples had their moments of doubt and disbelief. And that also is what Luke was testifying to. 
being one of those that witnessed it firsthand, he was beginning to share it. But not only the experience with Christ, but most importantly, that simply because Jesus, death, burial, even resurrection, soon to be noted ascension, doesn't mean it stops. Doesn't mean he goes away. Doesn't mean that, that he's, not any, he's no longer with us. It just means he's not there in material terms, but spiritual terms. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Yes, he was resurrected. There was a resurrected body. Being seen by them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. This wasn't just a figment of somebody's imagination. This wasn't like just, oh, can you hear that? No, I'm sorry, I can't. Oh, yes, you can. Just listen. Oh, you can hear it. Mariah. (laughs) They call the wind Mariah. It's an entity. It's a God. No, it's not a God. It's a matter of your own psychological construct. It's a matter of your own need to, as you're developing, getting to this point of object constancy, begin to realize there are things out there that you might not be able to process in five sensorium or five senses. That represents the human sensorium sort of measures. But you don't have to fabricate that. You don't have to guess what that might be. You do not have to worry about a personification. You don't have to come up with cunningly devised fables. You don't have to worship gods of your own creation. Not only your hands, (laughs) but your minds. There's one that's real. And he's demonstrated himself, shown himself to us. And Luke was primary witness, and he was testifying. But I know Jesus lives now, but I know he lives not simply because he's a construct. I know he lives because that's what Luke was about to explain. There was a change. Jesus didn't literally in spirit go away. He just literally in body went away. But even as he went away, he didn't go away and not return. Does that take anything away from his second coming as we would in, again, Christian faith? Understand it Bible-based to be book of Revelation? No, I don't think so at all. It just means we have been already shown tangible proof simply because we can't process him in material terms does not mean that he doesn't exist Even so materially, but we're not capable in our five senses, the limits that our five senses put on our empirical experiences to subject him to that level of restrictive, restrictive, of measurement. But who am I to think simply because I'm corrupt, my iniquity in part is my inability in human terms To be able to experience that out of simply those five senses doesn't mean it doesn't happen or exist. And it's a great liability should it exist, him, he, and I choose to ignore it. 
especially if my salvation is attached to it. If not only my primary meeting my primary drives in life, but proving even more so that simply because the body should pass does not mean that I die. Because I can be like Jesus. How do I know that? Because he's already shown himself to me to be more than body. He's demonstrated all along he was first and foremost of God, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Yes, I believe in the Trinity. But my human comprehension, my ability to construct it, is limited to the witness that I might then testify not only unto you, but unto myself. But if somebody goes around telling you about stuff, tell them, Iowa, show me. Prove it. And if they say, well, prove Jesus. And I say, well, all you have to do is be like the disciples, the chosen, and be open-minded because not only is it going to be a psychological construct, but the evidence of that is love. Simply because you don't believe in love, simply because of your impoverishment, maybe Somebody's stolen it from you, the thief, cometh to kill, steal, and destroy. Somebody's used you, abused you, taken advantage of you, the thief. Some, somebody's manipulated you. Somebody's stolen your innocence from you because they lied to you. Somebody's been mean to you. Somebody's intention to use you. All of those are just the devil. That's the devil. That's the personification of evil, the devil. And the Antichrist does not mean, though, that love doesn't exist. It just means you have to have a witness and testimony of it, or you're not going to believe it. But it isn't measured only in those five senses. Maybe you could say it's like a meta-analysis. You put all those together and you have something a little more. I don't think that's it, even. That could be part of it, construct-wise. We don't make it. God gives it. But God's given it already. We just claim it then in Jesus. Why? Because we stop doubting. We start opening ourselves up to receive and believe. And then why would we be surprised if there's another dimension? Is it up, heavenly? Is it down, hellish? Is it right? Is it left? I don't know. Maybe it's just another dimension. But for the sake of north, south, east, and west... Again, all of that would only appeal to the five human senses. We have to have a sense greater than those five. It is somewhat cumulative, but it's different. It's the Holy Spirit. But he's been there all along. We've just not recognized him. Or even as with Eve and Adam in the garden, the devil steals it early in life. The minute you're born, you start to feel pain. The minute you're born, it hurts. The minute you're born, you start to get into the trap. The conditioning, the brainwashing. All of that, drink the Kool-Aid. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Why did Jesus say this? Because they weren't quite at the point of claiming it. 
And Jesus was about to, if not had already, in context to Luke's accounting of it, to Theophilus, ascend into heaven. He wanted them to wait. Don't go back. Don't run away, as with Peter. Don't deny. Hang in there. It's going to happen. But there's always that moment between death and resurrection where there's a room, a little bit of room for doubt. And some people give the devil plenty of room. It's the schism. It's the great gulf that divides. You have to progress developmentally at least And I know, again, psychology does not create Jesus, and psychology in the creation of Jesus would be no other than than some other god or deity that can't save. What psychology does, or at least psychological development, and it's all part of human development, it's just the psychology part is for the mind, and in that the spirit, human spirit, is logistically prepare you to receive You have to wait to receive. Because if you do it prematurely, you get ahead of God. You do it out of yourself, you are not going to be in that same way, led of the Spirit, directed of the Spirit, guided of the Spirit. You have to allow God and Jesus and Holy Spirit, again, I believe in the Trinity, to do His work to bring you through that resurrection. And the good news is, you don't have to die first to do it. It is better if you don't, because if you don't, once you're dead, it's done. There's no need then for Jesus in this way. There's no need for Holy Spirit guidance, direction. And I've not mentioned it on the podcast today, but again, I'm presuming I'm speaking to a predominantly Christian audience. The comfort that that brings you, the love that of God, not only to meet your material, needs, but to meet your emotional and then more than anything else to point out, and you have a spiritual need. But only God can meet the spiritual need. And not only that, but your spiritual need is even more important than your material needs. Why? Not because you're not in material dimension when you're in your human body. And it's important to live and not die. And it's important to have that emotional operation. It's even important to have the cognitive, the parasympathetic operations to help you calm down so you can think it through. And again, logistically, analyze it. (laughs) the salvation comes when you realize even so you're still going to die and you got to have something more than the body if you're going to live but why would you settle for death if you know there's a way to eternal life it just means you have to give up your body and that paradigm that mindset you have to wait (laughs) for Jesus to come again, to show himself, and in that show you the Holy Spirit in you. Now again, I believe he's going to come a second time. I have no doubt about that. I believe that there will be a material manifestation in some dimension. (laughs) It's not going to even have the name Jesus. It'll be a different name. 
We will then be of different name. We won't have the need for the human identification, the identity, the personality. You will need to know my name in that way. You just need to know my new name in my risen Savior who has come to then help me across the great divide. The schism. He's doing it now, though, but in some ways it's correlate to that developmental milestone. If you can't get to that point, logistically, you're not going to receive the message of Christ. Now, the good news is God doesn't stop working on your behalf. Development doesn't, the imperative, it's in you to get there further your development and arrive at adulthood. And approximately this object constancy thing, it's young. I mean, I think Piaget said somewhere around nine, certainly not even puberty. (laughs) It should be working. It's pre-age of accountability as we might know it in scripture. But then that's also where the age of accountability comes in. By the time you get to that age, logistically, you should be prepared. Especially if you've been brought up in a Christian home and fed the word. And with that, your parents haven't denied you the, that level of enrichment. You've not been in such poverty Uh, Your parents are saved, your primary caregivers, those that are there in your community to lead you, guide you. Because that's all part of the logistics of this great sort of transition from being predominantly physically based to now being then predominantly spiritually based and then Holy Spirit based so that when you end your life, That will be out of which, from which you will have negotiated or navigated life in spiritual terms and dimensions with this enrichment, this enhancement of Holy Spirit operations that we're talking about here. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Continue with verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We'll read that verse again. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. I am not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't fall upon you. I am not saying the day of Pentecost in the upper room, which we will get to here in a moment on the podcast today, is suggesting that there wasn't something that came down. Obviously, there's cloven tongues of fire. I'm just saying when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you've been living under the, in the shroud of darkness... It's almost like a child beginning to think abstractly, which is another one of those Piaget concepts. Abstraction. And it hits about the same age 
developmentally, but you move from a world that's shrouded in those five senses and then the darkness that goes along with it, because you're limited to that, you can't even consider that object constancy, particularly when it comes to Jesus and love and spiritual terms, you're going to be bound to a very limited world. You're going to be, again, the analogy, the metaphor, putting yourself in a box. And you can live in that box until you die. I think, actually, that is the message. If you deny, not only the Holy Spirit, but you deny yourself this opportunity and realize that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he may have already been in you. Your awareness, though, it's all about your brain cooperating with God. It's all about you choosing choice as with at that age of accountability. It is then not only accountability, but accountability for what? The choices you make. Are you to accept Jesus or are you going to reject him? Are you going to move beyond the limits of your five senses? Are you going to operate in the realm of that abstraction, which then is an element of creativity? It's an acknowledgement that there's something more than simply you. Even should you do that, though, are you going to do that with the courage to face the inevitable that you're not going to make it out alive? But that doesn't mean you're going to die it means you need to have something like Jesus to help you cross over that gulf. Bringing up a child in the way of the Lord, teaching them the word of God, especially the Old Testament, prepares them logistically to receive that, to move through that stage of a development more efficaciously, more efficiently, more quickly, and hopefully seamlessly. So whatever the weight is, it isn't a long one. Jesus is there already. He's there all along as with the Holy Spirit is there already as he's there all along. God is there already as he is there all along. You just have to be open to receiving that. And abstraction, the notion of accomplishing that stage of, of it says constancy, But it means that outside, once again, just for clarity, maybe I've made it clear, but I just want to make sure it's clear, simply because you can't see it doesn't make it non-existent. And then what's it for? It's to prove, O Theophilus, that it's all true. To prove that Jesus is resurrected. But now we don't have to rely just simply on the testimony of the chosen. Now we have our own testimony. Now we've gotten to the point, oh, I can see it now. But it's not like, oh, can you hear that? Oh, well, maybe I can. It's like it really is not only can you hear that, can you hear him? He's there. He's not just, it's not just you talking to you. He's there. That operational system, Holy Spirit operations, it's there. He's there all along. He's been there. You've just not recognized and knew enough and knowing who Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, in the name of his authority, the name of Jesus, 
You just didn't believe. Or you chose to consider it to be like everything else, a fairy tale world. (laughs) Simply a story. A nice story. A romantic story. But when you start to put love in that category of, well, it's just a story. And even if you're a romantic and you love love stories, if you don't have tangible proof that it's real, you'll want to believe, you'll maybe keep trying to believe, but you know you're lying to yourself. There's only one source of love. That's God. God is love. There's only one spirit of love. That's the Holy Spirit. And there's only one evidence, first fruit, that you can see of a human who has shown first to the chosen, but then not for the sake of them just keeping it to themselves, but so that who could write this third gospel, or I guess really it would be in Luke's sort of dimension, an additional gospel of who Jesus was. But he's not talking about him so much, even though he's beginning in the book of Acts. That's where we're calibrating from a much more material dimension or measure. He's talking about him in spiritual dimension and measure. And he's, Jesus told them, wait, when it happens, you'll then be firsthand. Not only did you touch me, taste me, feel me in physical, but you'll be first fruits, firsthand witness of the Holy Spirit. And you'll go tell the world. And you'll tell them that I am there with the Father, sitting at the right hand. And though the kingdom of heaven will have material expression, the kingdom of heaven has never gone away. We just have yet to pass through the flaming swords. And to get back into that where we began. And when he had spoken these things, humans, Adam and Eve, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. There's the ascension. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, is he going to come again a second time? I say for the third time. Yes, he's going to come again. But he comes in the Holy Spirit, has come in the Holy Spirit already. And I believe these two angels, should I call them that? That's what they were telling them. He'll come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. But he won't come in like manner and manifest himself at least unto them and so much unto even us until his second coming as was captured in the book of Revelation, prophesied throughout the Bible. Even the first great sermon, Peter captured all of the revelation sort of dimensions of Jesus coming again. But it's not yet, and that's what Jesus told them. Nobody knows really when that's going to happen. I read that a moment ago. But one thing is going to happen. I'm going to be with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. 
I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of your earth, your death, but into the, unto the ends of all humanity. And I kind of believe that's really what the second coming is about. It'll be the end of humanity. There will no longer be, at least for the moment. And again, what's that? <laughs> Wait. For what? Time? Time is not a dimension of God. Time is a dimension of humans. God gave us time so that we would be able to somehow again put it under a microscope and navigate in some material dimension. It helps us. But what is a moment? A year is like a thousand years. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem at Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Jesus, uh, Judas, the son of James. What upper room? Same one. I think, I believe most scholars would be okay with me saying strong probability. Same one where they had the Last Supper. Why is that important? <laughs> because that was the last time they really had this fellowship with Jesus. But then it was material fellowship. He was taking care of their primary needs. But when they returned the second time, he was going to deliver unto them the most important meeting the spiritual need, not only of the human spirit, but of Holy Spirit operation. He was going to distribute unto them love. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's not even the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness for the 40 days. It's not about the flesh. It's about the spirit. It is about the flesh, as long as you're in the flesh. But once that passes, it still is about the Holy Spirit. It has to be that first. You have to give yourself to that first. But the only way you're going to do that is accept the finality of the flesh. But you don't have to concede that, oh, well, we'll eat, drink, and marry because tomorrow we die. No. You are alive in Jesus, and your flesh is just evidence of that. The spirit of life is upon you and in you already, or you would not be animate. You would not be alive materially. You're already testifying of God. You just need to give God the credit and the glory. It is all because he first loved you, First John. We love because he first loved us. And this is what this is all about. Love is meeting your physical needs as they did in the upper room, the Last Supper, and Jesus had come. He'd proven to them that there would be that sufficiency in a material sense. But now he needed to prove to them the harder thing to prove because there was going to be a sense of we've lost it all, which then gets equated to poverty, which gets equated to pain, which gets equated to hunger, which gets equated to I don't know if this is all real, which gets equated to where's your faith to believe, where's your faith to wait, where's your faith to know. That's simply because you're hungry now doesn't mean you'll never eat again. Simply because Jesus went away does not mean he won't return again. He said he would, but he's not going to come back until his second coming in physical dimension. And he's not even going to come back then as a human. It's going to be a resurrected body, which we will also claim. And we will be new creatures in Christ with a new name. 
But if you get hung up, <laughs> you can't move past that, and you don't get into abstraction, and you can't see developmentally because you've not logistically gotten to that point because you weren't brought up in the way of the Lord. You weren't taught the Word of God. You didn't read the Bible or the Bible wasn't taught to you. You could spend your whole life like Moses and the Hebrew people for their 40 years in the wilderness and not see the promised land. It can still happen today. There's no excuse for it happening today because Jesus has come. And he's come in some ways. He didn't come a second time. He's always been there. But he will come a second time at the end times to establish that. But you don't want to get stuck in the wilderness. You don't want to just live by the Ten Commandments. Though it's better than nothing. It will sanctify you some. But it won't save you. Because you'll still end up dying. And you might end up along the way. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of stuff. Killing somebody or killing yourself or being killed. Simply because it never measures life if you limit it to the physical because the physical dies. It just does. Everything physically material will be transformed into something else. That's a principle of science. Matters neither created nor destroyed. It just changes shape and form. But when it does, you're no longer you. And all those constructs of identity, all those things that at the age of accountability have to choose to give up and find yourself in Christ and then finding yourself in Christ, finding and discovering that Christ is in the Holy Spirit and he is then the two are in God as a trinity, you're home free then. <laughs> You've made it. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, presumably, at least in my mind at this moment, as we're doing the podcast, just so that they would wait. With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. And I'm going to skip forward just a little bit here, simply because of time. Two, chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day, Acts 2, verse 1. The day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. They were able to hold out. I'm thinking again, the upper room. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And a field filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad and the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled saying one to another, Behold, are not all these who speak Galilean or Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And of course the answer is that as much as they were still amazed, they were still processing in human terms the traditions of men, the traditions of nations, the traditions of people, 
And you could say, in terms of humanity, this was the sentinel moment in humanity, as much as we might measure early humans as being like children, very immature. The human race kind of follows the same path as the human being. There is a moment where we all come to an awareness a moment when we all begin to understand. And I think we passed that. Now we're falling into apostasy. At least the separation of the sheep from the goats. And there are some that are falling into deeper apostasy and going the opposite direction. But for those of us who have received, (laughs) accomplished that developmental milestone, who in that understand how all of this we said in the podcast today was predicated upon the logistics the human vessel being sanctified and established so that we might then receive, being prepared to receive the Holy Spirit. These persons that were the first to really be witness to of what that really is by the disciples who were in the upper room when the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit or the cloven tongues came upon them, the cloven tongues came down, but the Holy Spirit was manifest. These were ones that really did not understand love was more than physical need. Love was more than even human aspiration. Love could be unconditional. And who best to demonstrate that? But Jesus. And then second... Those who are in Christ, to love others in that same manner and way, out of that same power. But you have to believe in that power, even as you have to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, even after you have to then understand that everything up to that point of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior It's about preparation for that one moment. But not only for you, but for all those you testify to. But not only for all those that you testify to in the time that you're in, but all those that have yet to be witnessed to, as with the fullest measure of our humanity, or at least the human potential, until Jesus comes again. And when he does... That's when the bride will also have been prepared for Christ. And in that, he will claim the finishing of the human dimension. So that then, with that, whatever the future would hold, albeit I might be wrong, I said that earlier about my interpretation, when Jesus comes again, what happens to humankind? But whatever happens... It is like joining together with Jesus. Now it will just be the bride as cumulatively the human race joining together with Jesus then. But it doesn't have to be any more complicated than it is right now. And it's no more complicated than you to realize you can't live eternally except in Jesus Christ and in God. And what is God? God is love. What is his language? There's a great book uh, about love languages. I think it's very useful. But the language of love is universal. (laughs) It knows no dialect. 
it knows no set tradition. It can't be captured with words because words are just of human construct. But no matter what the words are, if it's anointed in love, even if you don't really understand the words, you're going to understand the message. And what's the message? God is love. He loved us so that we might love one another. But Jesus already said that while he was in human form. There's two great commandments. No, there is but one God. Love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then love others as you love yourself. This is what it looks like to operate in that power. These chosen who were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost were the first manifestations of that. You too, though, as you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, are like unto them. He's in you. He, the Holy Spirit, He, Jesus, is alive within you. And they are one in God. And Jesus just helps you make the transition from human identity (laughs) and all those things that otherwise are corruption, iniquity, that limits our ability to think beyond it. To really begin to understand how to commune with God, which means to be one, not only with Him, but with God, in what? The universal, not only language, but the universal Holy Spirit, one God, who is one Spirit, who produces one church as one body, who is the bride of Christ. If there's division, then there's something wrong. If we can't get along in that way in human dimension, it's because we're not operating out of Holy Spirit love first. Love has transactional dimensions, only in manifestation. Love itself doesn't. It's unconditional. And this is what we're seeing on the day of Pentecost. Now, what's the upper room? It could be your brain. It could be where your throne is and you. You know, your seat of knowledge, your seat of decision-making, your operational system as complete and empirically sort of defined terms of emotions and thoughts. But that's only human operation. Until you abdicate Submit yourself to Jesus. Allow him to take the seat that every temple had for Moses or the chosen one in that same kind of way that Moses was seen, the Messiah to come for the Hebrew people who believe he has yet to come. They have a chair. But Jesus sat in that seat. That's what upset them when he went into the temple early on in his ministry. And began to tell them all the good news. Was the moment that they got really upset. They knew they needed it. But they couldn't believe it. And their faith did not allow them to. But it's not just Hebrew people. It's all the people of the world. If you don't accept Jesus. But if you lead with Christ. 
if you lead with the Holy Spirit, if you understand the testimony, if you continue to come back to the Word of God, now manifest living Word of God in Christ Jesus as your example, then whatever is going on in your life, God has an answer and it will be anointed. And it'll make all the transactional elements, including your death, much easier to negotiate or navigate. What's this got to do with specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling ministry? Because we start there. I may do an Theophilus sort of presentation to you. I may, and we don't have time on the podcast today. I think it'll be for the next podcast. Can't promise, but I think it will be. We'll hear that first sermon of Peter, which is kind of, again, just recapturing Old Testament logistics up to the time of New Testament, Gospels of Jesus Christ, and that moment when all of that was so that all of us could operate in the Holy Spirit in this highest dimension of not only human operations, but now more, it's not just a construct of psychology, it's not just emotions and thoughts put together concocting some sort of fabled, again, storyline of what is going to happen and how it's going to happen. And, oh, this is great. And, you know, we know we need something, but let's just come up. When it comes to your death, the only thing that's going to satisfy that, and that's the only time if you've not accepted that reality, come to an age of accountability and then made the choice to give your life to Jesus is on your deathbed. <laughs> Don't be one of those deathbed sort of salvations because being on your deathbed doesn't guarantee you that it happens. And even so, I mentioned it earlier, by then you don't need it anymore. It's only useful for what you're in your flesh. That doesn't take anything away from it because that's where the devil works. He can steal you from God and you can go to hell, not only now, live hell, but live hell eternally. That's not what God wants. Jesus helps you to bridge that gap between birth and death. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. He leads, guides, and directs. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has told us that. I do that in counseling. I start with that. We establish those tenets, believing that you would not be coming to a place that specializes or calls itself what is covenant, specialized pastoral care services, or Christian counseling, Christian counseling, except that you were at least somewhat willing to believe. But if you are, then why would you expect me not to lead with that? But if we lead with that and establish that, reestablish that, reaffirm that, get our mind logistically in the right place, we'll find an answer. And even if we don't find the answer that I want, you want, we'll find the answer God has for us. It makes my job a whole bunch easier, and it should make that much easier for you. That's why we do it, though. Do you have to see us? No. You can go to church. You can read the Word. You don't need me. But I do understand, in this way, more of the human operation. That's my field of study in addition to my faith. And some people, they just need a more credible witness. They are a little bit more so empirically as limited now to the five senses, evidence-based. They just need that or they're not going to listen. It's too much of a, a jump 
But I suppose in some ways, if I understand both, that might be better than understanding one and not the other. Or even so, should it be faith but not understand the struggles of how logistically all the human operations work, you might be a bit, you might find it still a bit difficult to prepare yourself or understand the full workings of certainly the Old Testament. We could cooperate more through that knowledge. But if I'm just a psychologist, I'm not going to save you. I can comfort you some and I can give you some tools. I can try to further that developmental process and with that I can explain this isn't going to save you but it'll get you closer but I'm also going to tell you (laughs) but Jesus is your only answer but I get to do that because it is specialized pastoral care it is Christian counseling ministry and I do that in an unapologetic sort of way that's why I love to do the podcasts that's what we're doing right now we're furthering that developmental course And we're hopefully also appealing to those spiritual things and the operation of the Holy Spirit manifesting himself as he wants and desires to in you to the fullest extent of completing the two great commandments to live your life for Christ. Should you want to contact us, you can. 304-528-9220. Covenants. Find us covenantsonline.com. Covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. You can find us on Facebook and on YouTube at Covenants. And of course, you can always come back for the next edition of What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. And until we would get that chance to meet again, I just want to say be blessed. And thanks.